0: Welcome to Between the Headphones, a Georgia sports podcast. I'm John James, the sports editor at the Red and Black, and your host for this podcast series. Each week, I'll talk to Red and Black sports reporters to get the pulse of UGA athletics, straight from the source. This week, I'll be joined by Red and Black digital sports editor Bo Underwood and assistant sports editor Owen Warden. Up first, we'll talk to Owen about Georgia's 24-14 victory over South Carolina on Saturday. Welcome back to the show, Owen. Always a pleasure. So yeah, the South Carolina game was uh, controversial for a lot of people. Georgia looked very good at times, looked not great at other times. Start off in the beginning, as we often do. The offense scored three points in the entire first half. What happened
1: there? I mean, frankly, it the offense just didn't come together. I mean, the passing game just wasn't able to function. It was a lot of Dink and dunk type plays that never really stretched the field out. Um, the running game was going, but I don't think it had reached its full stride yet. So, I mean that that first half alone was just brutal because there was no momentum gained. There was no spark that really allowed the offense to really ride with. You know, it was it was just kind of disappointing. You know, there it was almost like South Carolina kind of knew what was going on, but also. They were just causing havoc. Georgia's offensive line kind of folded a little bit. They were struggling. I mean, they were getting pressure from from the from the left side, from from a little bit from the right side. They were just kind of finding ways to get to Carson Beck to prevent any successful throws. Sacked him twice. So ultimately, it was just a rough performance. And then Georgia could have had six points in that first half, but Peyton Woodring, the freshman. His kicks were looking wobbly. They were looking off. He missed a 20-yarder last week, and he missed another one against South Carolina. So, just a lot of disaster-type scenarios where, you know, I feel like some of it falls on play calling, some of it falls on decision-making, and some of it just falls on purely holding up. So,
0: in those disaster-type scenarios, what needs to change, if anything, with this Georgia offense going forward?
1: Well— the kind of adage i've always taken with mike bobo and it's kind of been the case of you know george's offensive coordinator mike bobo the thing i've taken with him the most especially from his previous tenure, is he's very much a run first pass later kind of coach where he's going to try and get the run game established and then start throwing it down the field but you look at a lot of modern you look at a lot of modern offenses in college football and even the nfl and you have to find a typical balance now Arthur Smith and the Falcons are doing something completely opposite but they're kind of the exception you look at any good offense from anywhere it's very much they're getting the ball moving down the field quickly they're stretching things out they're finding the right spaces and they're using the run game as almost a part of that you know a key function of that you look at Lane Kiffin what he was doing with Quinchon Judkins over at Ole Miss you know they were finding ways to get the ball down the field, but they were also relying on Quinjean to break through and and really allow those things to pair well with each other. And I don't think Bobo's found that right balance. Um, He needs to find a way to get the ball down the field more, find a way to get it to Brock Bowers more. Bowers found the ball a lot in the first game, not much in the the past two. Really, the only thing that's been impressive about Brock Bowers is the fact that he is Brock Bowers, running through people, stretching, getting five to six extra yards than he necessarily should be on a certain play. So he needs to be getting the ball down the field. We know that Rob Rock can get down there. We've seen Dominic Lovett even do that back in Missouri, let alone again, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, whenever Ladd comes back, which I'm expecting to be in the Auburn game in a few weeks, these players can get down the field. You got to throw it to them. You got to make sure that you're getting these concepts ready for that to happen. And then you also have to be talking to your quarterback, Carson Beck, to make sure that he's willing to take those shots it's it's a coordination thing. It's, it's a thing that they need to put together in order to make that happen. And I know Kirby Smart it, w- would not admit it, but I'm sure he wants to make sure that's happening. But also, when they get inside the 30 and the 20, they need to score.
0: Yeah. One factor that I was really displeased with just as a football fan watching Georgia play on Saturday is that Carson Beck was not throwing ball downfield. In the first half, his longest completion was 11 yards altogether, which means, like, even if someone caught the ball and ran with it, they didn't get further than 11 yards. It was dink and dunks. It was checkdowns. It was all short passes. And I just don't think you can build a winning offense in college football that way.
1: Kirby Smart always prides himself on wanting that that quarterback that's not going to make mistakes. But ultimately, like, I think when you have a quarterback, you have to be willing to make some mistakes. Because you're going to have to make big plays. You know, Stetson Bennett, yeah, he had a couple picks. I remember that first national championship run. He had that fumble against Alabama, and everyone freaked out about it because it was, it was terrifying. But ultimately, you come out the next couple drives, and he's taking massive shots down the field. He's taking, He's staying in the pocket, willing to take hits as that Alabama defense rushes towards him to make throws to key targets. It's that kind of stuff that you need more of. Risks are inevitably what you need in a high-powered offense. Quarterbacks are going to make mistakes. Quarterbacks are going to throw picks. you got to allow that to happen at certain points. And by keeping a guy just throwing checkdowns and keeping it easy, and, you know, once you know you got something over the middle of the field, then you throw it, it's not going to be successful long-term. And, you know, they finally moved on. They finally did that in the second half. This could be the type of performance that propels Georgia to find success, kind of like what Missouri was last year. But there's also an easy reality that Georgia's first half is the reality for this team for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, I just think Carson Beck hasn't looked especially comfortable throwing the ball downfield. And one way to establish that comfort for a quarterback is a really good running game. Uh, On Saturday, we saw Georgia have a really good running game with the return of Dejan Edwards, putting up a career-best performance on the ground. What does having him back mean for this offense?
1: Yeah, I think you touched on it right there. Any good running game makes any good quarterback comfortable. Uh, sorry, not even good quarterback. It makes any quarterback comfortable. Um, we've seen so many quarterback stat lines absolutely skyrocket when they know they've got a reliable backfield to turn to. Now, of course, the difficult thing is it really is Dejon and kind of nobody else in that room right now, aside from Cash Jones and a couple other walk-ons. So it's going to kind of be Dejon. And I don't know if Dejon can necessarily break his record, his, uh, his rushing yards record every single week. So, you know, I mean, it's going to be huge for the fact that they've got at least a 100 yards a game type guy. But can he do it consistently? Is the rest of the running backs going to be able to go be healthy enough to make sure he's not running, being ran into the dirt? Is Dylan Bell going to be an effective guy that can still play back there despite still being a wide receiver? I think if if Dejon Edwards can continue, can continue to put up these performances, I think it could be tremendous for Carson Beck's comfortability with the offense. But I think the key thing is, will it be consistent? Because it certainly wasn't through the first two games.
0: And if Dejon can't consistently put up that kind of performance, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the defense to shut teams out like they did in the second half against South Carolina. But in the first half, they gave up 14 points. So, Owen, what stood out to you about the defense's performance on Saturday?
1: I mean, right away, it was sloppy. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that. I mean, I can't fact check this exactly right now, but it felt almost as if Spencer Rattler had four to five seconds in the pocket to just look downfield, find a target wide open and make a 20 yard throw. That can't happen. But I think the defense knows that themselves because they fixed that almost the next drive and it kept getting better and better and better throughout the game. Michael Williams went from a dude that we were like, we think he can be a guy to a guy. He was taken on two blocks at a time, still generating pressure, still getting through. And South Carolina's offense of line is not good. They let up nine sacks against UNC for a reason. But even still, a bad offensive line throwing a double team at a guy is still a tough thing to break through. Michael Williams breaking through that and finding his way towards Spencer Rattler consistently is key and that's something that i think even against tougher offensive lines like florida you know billy naper always finds a way to put a pretty solid offensive line together um auburn's got a couple guys that are interesting and then even when you you know if georgia continues its undefeated streak and gets into the the sec championship or the playoffs they will face better offensive lines there obviously so michael williams being able to take on two guys alone and have just be just fine is a testament for this team, but also Nazir Stackhouse getting a sack. Warren Brinson finding pressure. Jordan Hall continuing to seemingly get better and better and start finding pressure, especially later in the game. Kamari Laster looked fantastic. And and that I was not a big fan of his performances last season as that number two. He took a step up. And uh, even when dealing with injuries, he took a step up. Dalen was targeted a lot. Second half, felt like he started to kind of shore things up. I think the one other key that I want to talk about is while the safety room is great, including Taiki and Malachi, who have been awesome this year, they need Javon Bullard on the field because David Daniel looked rough. I think Dan Jackson can survive out there maybe more than David Daniel, even though I think David Daniel was probably more of an athlete. They need Javon because Javon is key. And South Carolina, when they did find success in that second half, it was off of David Daniel.
0: Yeah, the thing that stood out to me from the game was just like how night and day it was, first and second half for the Bulldogs. In the first half, Spencer Rattler and that Gamecock offense just made it. it made it, They made it look easy to move the ball, and that's not something you ever expect to see from a Kirby Smart defense. In the second half, they were struggling. They had to fight for every yard they got because Spencer Rattler was consistently under pressure. And I just think that's that's something you're expecting to see from a Kirby defense, and that's something you will see as the season goes along. Because I I fully believe that this unit has the talent. To put together a top one defense in the league and the and the nation, just like they had the past two years.
1: I agree. I think it's interesting too, because I don't think we've fa- I don't think we've seen Georgia have to play a really strong run heavy team. They had to carry on Joyner, and he I mean he had some ups and downs this season, but like Georgia shut him down kind of consistently throughout the game. Um, so you know I am curious when Georgia does have to play a team like Florida that has a really good run game and how they play, because especially because they've got two really talented linebackers. In fact, they've got a really good rotation. I think we can both agree. But they haven't really done much. Um, They haven't made a lot of tackles. They haven't been at the forefront. You know, Jamon Dumas-Johnson had a sack, but I think we've talked so much about the defensive line and the secondary that the linebackers have kind of gone underrated despite how good they are. Well, I totally agree. Um,
0: Smile and Jamon led the team in tackles last season, and they really stood out every time they were on the field. And this year... Hasn't been the case.
1: Yeah, um, but I, I think that does come from the fact that Georgia hasn't really played an effective rushing team yet. And when they do, I think we'll kind of start to see things turn around. Um, so yeah, I mean, keep an eye out for the Auburn game, the Florida game. I don't mean to look too far down the down the line, but it's kind of tough when UAB's around the corner, even Kirby Smart forgets to talk about them in his opening press conference. So. That's kind of the, the the feeling around that.
0: That's all down the line, though. For the moment, though, we've talked about the offense. We've talked about the defense. Owen, oh, what was your biggest takeaway from Georgia's 24-14 to victory over South Carolina?
1: I think it's tough because the biggest takeaway I really feel like is going to be super down the line for this game. But I think the biggest one is that Georgia has the talent and the ability to be a really good football team. We saw it with the defense really come alive. We saw it when Carson Beck was making throws down the field and Dajon was finding running lanes. We saw in the second half when the offensive line's pass protection finally met its run protection that it was in the first half, and, and everything really came together. We know this team's got talent, and we know they can put it together. So I think the, the biggest takeaway is this team needed a wake-up call, and I think this might have been it, but we need to see how it goes. But Again, biggest takeaway, this team's talented. They just got to make sure they put it together. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Owen. It's always a pleasure, John. Thank you.
0: Oh, we'll be joined by Digital Sports Editor Beau Underwood as we look ahead to Georgia's game against UAB this weekend. So UAB is a somewhat familiar opponent for Georgia, just dating back to the 56-7 victory in 2021. What's changed for them in the two seasons since then?
2: A whole lot has changed for UAB since then. This is like a, basically a new team. Um, they have an entirely different offense. They have a new quarterback, um, new running backs, new wide receivers. They're all five starters in the offensive line are new this season. Their head coach, Bill Clark, from two years ago, who essentially brought UAB's program back back from the dead after it was um disbanded and then brought back. He resigned due to health reasons, and now Trent Dilfer is their head coach who has never coached in college before, and he's got a whole new staff with him too. So this is a UAV program that is in the middle, not in the middle, at the very beginning of a rebuild, and it's it's basically a new program at this point.
0: Former Super Bowl winning quarterback, Trent Dilfer is head coach. What kind of offense does he install? What kind of offense will they be bringing to Sanford? They
2: throw the ball a lot. They currently lead the American Athletic Conference in passing yards, and it's by, like, almost 100 yards. Like, no one's really that close. I think they're not at 1,000 yet, but they are knocking on the door. They are also third last in that conference in rushing yards. They average 3.9 yards per carry. So they throw the ball a lot. They don't run it very well. Um, Their offensive of coordinator is Alex Mortensen, who was on the staff for years at Alabama. Um. And there are, there's a a lot of similarities in this offense for the first, you know, three games of UAB um, and how they kind of like to spread their offense out and throw the ball with those sort of Bill O'Brien, Steve Sarkeesian offenses at Alabama, you could definitely sort of see the influence there.
0: So with that kind of Bill O'Brien, Steve Sarkeesian offense, how does it match up against Georgia's secondary that hasn't faced too many, like, power passing offenses Mm -hmm. this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, Georgia hasn't really, like you said, hasn't faced a a bunch of just heavy passing attacks. South Carolina is the only one that you can really kind of say that about, which their defense played really well in that game, except, you know, there was a a bad coverage bust on 3rd and 16 on a screen play. There was was that one really impressive drive from South Carolina um, after that. But, you know, for the most part, the defense got pretty good pressure. If you want a number there, they had three sacks, I believe is the number. secondary for the most part, kept a lid on everything. Um, They gave up a couple deep shots, but also came up with those two huge interceptions in the fourth quarter. So, you know, shut them out in the second half. That's not too bad. Um, Georgia, we know, has arguably the most talented secondary in college football, Um, going up against a team that likes to throw the ball a lot. They'll have a lot of responsibilities this week. Um, We'll see what the status with Javon Bullard is, I'm sure, later. But I think... I think they're going to be prepared for this kind of matchup. They've already kind of dipped their toes in it last week with South Carolina. This week is probably going to be even more dialed up with how much they're going to have to defend the pass.
0: If Georgia's secondary is able to shut down the passing game, that means Georgia's offense will have the ball a lot in this game. Offensively, what are Georgia fans wanting to see from their offense in this UAB matchup?
2: I think we know exactly what they want to see. Um, It doesn't it doesn't take a lot of of investigating to see that Georgia fans want more shots downfield from Carson Beck in this offense. I, I don't think I can say that they're going to get that, at least not in large numbers. That has not been Georgia's offense this season and has not been Georgia's offense in the past. It is just not how they run their offense. Kirby Smart has been super defensive of Carson Beck pretty much this entire season. Um, there hasn't really been much of an indication that they're going to get more aggressive anytime soon. He's Kirby Smart has at, at every opportunity propped up Carson Beck and, you know, his his poise and his ability to sort of minimize mistakes. And if what Kirby Smart is saying is true that he really is as pleased as he's been saying he is with Carson Beck, I don't think the offense is going to change too much. Um, it's always been a system that's kind of prioritized taking pressure off the quarterback and putting it on the playmakers to make plays these first three games of 2023 have maybe been the most extreme example we've ever seen of that sort of philosophy under Kirby Smart. For this week, I'd probably expect, you know, a good amount of RPOs again, a lot of quick hitters in the passing game that Kirby likes to call an extension of the run game. I would also kind of keep an eye out for some increased play action stuff since the running game looks like it sort of turned a corner last week with how good of a game DeJon Edwards ended up having. But I don't think do, do, I don't think we can really expect to go into this game and see a bunch of offensive fireworks from this Georgia offense, just because that's not how they're built to play, and it's not how they played at all this whole season.
0: So Georgia fans won't get what they want to see. But what is the worst case scenario for Georgia fans in this game?
2: The absolute worst case scenario for me would just be that, and for Georgia fans would be that I think Beck has another game where he doesn't push the ball downfield a whole lot. They have a hard time stringing together those, you know, 11-12 play drives that this offense is sort of built around sustaining, and and they end up having another slow start. We've seen that in every game so far this season, and I think the worst case scenario is that it happens again this year against a far inferior opponent than who they were up against last week. I don't expect the defense to give a whole lot up to this to this offense. I think they're going to establish pretty early on that UAB cannot run on them at all. They're going to force them to start throwing the ball, and once George's secondary knows you're going to throw the ball, it's pretty much over already. Um, but if they do give up a couple of deep shots, which there's always a chance they will, then there might be some unrest from the fans there and some concern. But I think a worst-case scenario in terms of like the score, the result of the game, is probably another sub 20 point victory with little to be optimistic about about the offense so basically just another Kent another Kent State game from last year
0: understood that's that's the bottom of the barrel worst case scenario Bo right but right now I want to know what you think is going to happen give me a game pick give me an offensive MVP give me a defensive MVP
2: I'll go Georgia 34 UAB 10 um I think the offensive MVP of this game is gonna end up being probably Brock Bowers, like um, just 'cause I, I was I was on the fence about saying Dejon Edwards, but I don't know if he's gonna top his, his rushing record again. I think this is gonna be the game where they try to get Brock Bowers involved in the passing game more than he's been this season. Um, I'd expect some more play action stuff this week and you know, that's where Brock Bowers has shown he can be pretty deadly in the past. Um all it takes for it is for him to get loose on one of those routes and, you know, he'll that speed will do the rest. Um, on defense, I think Malachi Starks is going to have to have a huge game, sort of, you know, patrolling center field, patrolling the back line of that secondary. This is a team that throws the ball a lot and not. I think he's going to end up being tested a good bit in this game and he's going to have to have a huge game.
0: I'm predicting a little bit more high-scoring game than you are. I'm saying Torchia 51, UAB 7. Um, I think in this game Dominic Lovett has a really good performance this year he's had a lot of catches this season but they haven't gone for they've been short catches He, he, he gets the ball he gets a couple yards and he gets down I think he opens up the game with a long touchdown because Carson Beck has something to prove in this one and I don't think UAB has the secondary to match up with Georgia's receivers so I think he gets open downfield and he starts off with a big touchdown Defensively, I'm going off the field for my MVP. I think Fran Brown, who recruited Ooh. UAB's quarterback at, uh, way back when in right. 2019, he is going to get his guys ready to play oh. against a, a quarterback that he knows very well. Uh, just to clarify that a little bit more, Fran Brown was the recruiting coach at Baylor when Jacob Zeno was recruited in 2019. Jacob Zeno is now UAB's starting quarterback. And I think he is in for a very unhappy reunion on Saturday. Uh, with all that said, thanks for coming on the show, bud. Thanks for listening to Between the Headphones. I'm John James. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at redandblack.com. For even more torture sports coverage, visit redandblack.com slash sports. We'll tee it up Between the Headphones again next week.